Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tierney ou le grand pot pour Olivier Ferlon, qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait qu'il y a un Tierney Tierney c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal Kieran Tierney Calroche Magnifique This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, it's a goodly morning again. Goodly morning, Andrew. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I got a coffee. I've got an orange Kit Kat. Life is pretty fucking sweet. An orange Kit Kat? Yeah. I've never had one. They're delicious. It's like mm. Terry's well, where chocolate Where is the orange? orange? Talk to me. Is it in the chocolate or is there yeah. like a layer of orange? It's no, in the it must be in the chocolate. Yeah, it must be. Because the crispy bit is the usual crispy bit, but the chocolate has got an orange tang to it, which is good. I like orange chocolate, I have to say. You know, so when, you get, you know when you get at Christmas, you get the, the, the quality street or the roses, the, the, the tin. It used to be a yeah. tin. Now it's a plastic tub, which is not in t- environmentally friendly at it's all. Yeah, they should be using, obviously, metals from the earth itself to provide the streets. But, you know, I'm always diving in there to snaffle all the orange ones that I can, so... That's good. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like when I was growing up, the fruity ones were left over. So, you know, you could, you could have been the yin to our yang. You could have come around and absolutely cleaned up. Yeah, nobody uh, likes that little green triangle one. Or no, what's it like a little diamondy green one that's what in is the corner? That? I don't know. What is inside? I right. think it's just the bits that are left I over. Think, yeah, looking at the back of the box or the little pamphlet that mm. they provide you with, that's cheating. I think you have to guess what is inside and make your own assumptions you know yeah i think they've on the new ones now i think they've actually got the names of the sweets on each one so oh really certainly on the roses i because my dad always gets a big uh, tub of roses and they're on the wrapper now so it's uh you know orange cream or strawberry delight or chocolate hoo-ha whatever it is you know it's it's removed the kind of russian yeah. roulette element by the way i've just seen a football story on twitter that i must mention espn have reported that the uh 53 year old japanese striker kazuyoshi mura has signed a new contract with yokohama fc and i just imagine (laughs) i thought he was gonna say with us (laughs) well i imagine everyone in arsenal's recruitment department being like no damn it we were so close we had a seven-year deal lined up for that guy (laughs) 
<laughs> Take him to retire at age at sixty-five. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Pension. Well, look, I think we'll have uh, we'll have some chat a bit later on about some of the contract decisions and some of the players, and and obviously, uh, you know, there's one in particular that I, I think is going to be a, a topic of discussion. But I, I feel like for the first part of this show, we can delve into the into the things that weren't so great. But you know, we had a two-nil win over Newcastle in the FA Cup at the weekend. I'm curious as to your thoughts on the game itself just overall like what was your takeaway because i was quite was quite struck watching on the bbc um ian wright alan shearer and gary lineker seemed to be basically making their own fun uh, as much as possible (laughs) and most really did most of that seemed to be at the expense of alan shearer and i'm not saying i have any objection to this whatsoever but it seemed to be all about like you want to touch this fa cup that you never won yeah and all that kind of stuff so i mean you know i'm on board with all that but they weren't as uh, or particularly enamored with the game itself and it wasn't the, the greatest game of all time, far from it. But from an Arsenal perspective, you know, we've had performances and games this season in which we've really done fuck all, like literally nothing. It's been a, an absolute sinkhole of time and effort and everything else to look, look uh, at Arsenal play. But when I look at the game and I look at the the stats and the fact that we had, what, 20-odd attempts on, 25 attempts on goal, it, it, it feels like, okay, look, it wasn't great. It was frustrating at times. There was a dearth of quality in certain areas. But is this not a better kind of frustration than what we were seeing previously? I think that's maybe fair, yeah. I think there's a degree of sort of, you know, we become accustomed to analysing mm. this team in a certain way. And therefore, you know, we kind of project that onto all performances. For me, I think there's sort of a, a there's a distinction between the 90 minutes and and the period of extra time. Mm-hmm. Where I thought Arsenal were a lot better. I think you can almost kind of divide this game as to kind of when the subs were made and how much we improved in that period. I mean, one thing that struck me, look, reading uh, Scott's column on Arsblog by the numbers, you know, he made it pretty clear Newcastle really could have won this game. Um, and mm. I think if he, he put it through his simulation, I think he said the majority of the time, you know, you'd expect Newcastle, based on the chances they created, to win this match. Uh, so Arsenal could have very nearly been out of the cup. It's that's so, so weird, isn't it? Because they had two yeah. shots on target in yeah. the entire game. I know, I know. Well, I suppose they put a very presentable opportunity off target. Um, oh, the Andy, the Andy Carroll, Carroll one. That was flagged uh, offside incorrectly. Um, what a centre-half he is, eh? Yeah. <laughs> he did have a strange game. I mean, you see him in the lineup, and I kind of, again, you know how we talk about being conditioned to sort of respond to things mm. a certain way. I see Andy Carroll and I panic. I go, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. Um, he's 32 now. I mean, he's been around a long time, but his game was kind of more, he did more for them defensively than offensively. It was unreal. It was like every time a cross came in, there's Andy Carroll heading it away. Hang on a second, you were up the other end. I mean, what's his heat map like? It's a shame we've got our two left-sided centre-halves because, yeah, he'd probably be available. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's an interesting point about the game. I mean, I'm in a WhatsApp group with some mates who aren't Arsenal fans and they texted saying they thought the BBC were a bit down on the game. They were like, I actually think this was more entertaining than the BBC gave it credit for. Right. Okay, well, fair enough. It was, you know, it's not the kind of game that's going to live long in the memory. I just feel like in the in the context of this season and, you know, based on some of the other performances that we've seen, 
I, I prefer to see Arsenal end up with 25 shots uh, on goal, 12 or so on target towards the end, you know, playing the law of averages a little bit in terms of, you know, uh, scoring goals and all that kind of stuff. So let's talk Let's talk a bit about the the starting lineup and the, the players that he picked. I think there was mm-hmm. obviously going to be rotation, and I don't think uh, that rotation was based on anything more than, look, the, the, the guys who've done well in the three Premier League games, it's not so much about giving them a rest, it's about giving other players minutes in their legs because we've got a hectic schedule coming up. You need as many players in form and match sharp and all that as possible. So I kind of understood the decisions that he made when it came to the team lineup. Did you have any particular issues with it? Um, was there anything that you, you didn't expect? Obviously, the Martinelli thing was a bit of a blow early on. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. Although nice to see that Reese Nelson is alive. Uh, that was a change. Yeah. I, I suppose in terms of the lineup, I had no issues at all, really. The only issue I had, funnily enough, was sort of Kieran Tierney and thinking, yeah. how how much football can we squeeze out of this young man's I know, legs? Yeah. I know Kolasinac has gone, but you've got Ainsley Maitland-Niles there on the subs bench you could do a job I mean it, what what do you make of the decision to play Tierney is it just the case that he's so integral to, to the way we play right could now could be I mean I do wonder if he's one of those players who just who just needs to play when he gets into a rhythm the best thing for him is to play but at the same time I was sitting there at the end of 90 minutes thinking you know we could probably do ourselves a favor here and take him off and then he you know in the 119th minute he bombs forward and he he sets up a goal for Aubameyang he's unbelievable he is unbelievable but I think it's absolutely right to harbor some concerns about how much he can play and with with what frequency I would be very surprised if we weren't trying to find some kind of left back cover solution I mean look Cedric can play there or he has played there in the past. Ainsley Maitland-Niles yeah. can play there. So I just wonder, you know, what the thinking was um, when it came to Tierney. Uh, look, I think the lesson from this game for Arteta is that when you take out the good players and replace them with less good players, you don't play as well. That's yeah, the, that's I mean, the lesson. And, and I think that might be the disappointment for him, despite the fact that we've won, is that he was looking for... Reese Nelson, Joe Willock, Willie Ann, etc., to to respond to what's happened and to to sort of rise to the challenge, if you like. And I'm not sure that any of them particularly did. I think the the one player who hasn't played a great deal in the recent past, who I think had a good game, was David Luiz. I agree with you. It's interesting though because you know these players. When we played our weakened eleven in the Europa League group stage, they looked mm. great. You know, I mean, these players were much better than the first team. But yeah, but we were different... playing Newcastle. We're playing a exactly. Premier League team. It's a Premier yeah. League team, and I think we saw some of the, them kind of hit the buffers a bit in that respect. Mm. I agree about Louise. I think it's a really interesting one because I'm not convinced that on the pitch he's really done anything hugely wrong to sort of warrant you know being out the side. It almost feels like it's a strategic decision you know in that he's not the long term he's not Mm. going to be here beyond the end of the season but whenever I see him play and it was the same in this game actually I'm always like well he does bring something different I mean that long range of passing which he showed off a couple of times I think in the first half particularly 
it is it is a great tool to have. So, I mean, do you think he is kind of going to sit out the rest of the Premier League campaign, or do you think he's in with a shout of winning he, a place back? I think he still has a role to play. I do, um, mm. and I think this season. I know he hasn't played as much as he did last season and therefore there's less room for mistakes, but I think he's been, I think he's been fine this season. You know, I don't think he's been bad. I think there's just a sort of this natural, I mean, he was injured for a little bit, wasn't he? And he had the head injury and, uh, you know, there's a sort of natural leaning towards Rob Holding, who's going to be here for, for a while because he's uh, just signed a new contract as David Ornstein is reporting in, in the athletic this morning. So Mm -hmm. I, I think, those things have us leaning more towards a player who might be part of the future. But I think Luis has got a role to play between now and the end of the season, for sure. Yeah, and playing... It's interesting, you know, his first year at Arsenal, he played a lot on the left-hand side. Mm. But this season, we've seen him a bit more on the right, naturally, yeah. with with Marie and Gabriel having arrived. I mean, I was just looking at the numbers. Holding started 13 Premier League games. Luis has started six. So, you know, yeah. there definitely has been a transition there. But I agree with you. Of the players who came in who you would be sort of hoping to impress. I think he was the only one that really did. And uh, yeah, it's one of those games where it just kind of confirms the way the momentum is going, you know, and, and that actually later in the match, when we put on kind of our, inverted commas, first choice attack for the time being, I think it's when yeah. we looked our most dangerous. Well, for sure. I mean, let's talk a little bit about Willock and Nelson because they're two yeah. promising young players who have maybe just sort of hit that that uh, a plateau, I guess, in their development mm. at this level where you can say, okay, look, a loan would do them good. They could go and play somewhere else. They could come back and be better. Or are they at a point where you think, okay, you've had your chances. It hasn't really worked out. We should be thinking about maybe the next step or the next, you know, uh, phase in, in the team's rebuild. You know, not every young player is going to come through. I think you look at Smith Rowe and what he's done, Saka, what he's done. Um, I'm not sure Nelson has had quite as many chances because he's been a bit in and out. Joe Willock has been, you know, a sub mainly under Mikel Arteta. He, he did have a lot of appearances last season, 44 appearances, but not many of those were, were starts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, where do you where do you stand on, on those two guys? You know, I, I think sometimes we can be a bit quick to write off young players, but I do wonder if they can become what we want them to become with fleeting appearances here and there. Yeah, I mean, Joe Willock had a great period, didn't he, in the yeah. autumn in the Europa League, and we were all talking about him as a potential solution in the, in the Premier League. I thought this was a really bad night for him, actually. Do you, I, um, I, I don't think it was quite as bad as it looked, which okay. is a weird thing to say. I, I know it didn't come across as a great performance. I think there were a couple of moments early in the second half where he was penalised for fouls, which just were not fouls, and he had that good header on target. But yeah. I, I just, I'm not quite sure what he is in well, terms I, I of think, a player, yeah. you know? And, and I personally, I don't think this role um, in a kind of double pivot, you know, next to El Nenny. Mm. I just don't think that's ever quite going to suit him. I, he is a kind of weird player who doesn't really fit any system. I've compared him to Abu Dhabi in the past, and I think to a certain extent, 
you know, Julio Batista had the same thing where it's like, what are you? You're not a midfielder. You're not a forward. You're sort of someone who mm. I think has to be granted freedom. And I think he can only really get that as sort of the most advanced of a midfield three, which he wasn't really on the night. And no. uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of have this hunch that he's a player around whom your system almost needs to be constructed. His role needs to be very, very central to it. And my suspicion is that Arsenal, he's probably not ever going to be that guy at Arsenal. No. Um, like there's, but, an in, there's an incompatibility, isn't there, between what, what we want to do or how we want to play and what Joe Willock can bring. And I think he's got some yeah. real talent. I think there's, you know, he's a great athlete. I think he can finish. He can get in good positions. Uh, you know, he does have a fair amount of goals to his name, given how little he's played. Uh, you know, he can he can score goals. He can pop up. He's got good timing in the box, you know, and I think at, at 20, 21 years of age, maybe the finishing isn't quite as good as it, it, it can be. But the fact he can get himself in those positions, um, I think I've said before that that his the timing of his runs into the box reminds me a little bit of, of Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. He's just a little bit uh, inconsistent in, in front of goal. Um yeah, and he's not a continuity guy. No. You know, he's not a guy who is incredibly technically secure. But kind of with that comes that sort of element of, of chaos and bringing the unexpected that I think can be really dangerous. Um, I think him and Nelson are at a really kind of similar points in their development. And how I feel about what we should do with them is sort of very linked. I think they need to play. Mm. And I think they need to play at Premier League level really for them to kick on for them to go to the next stage um and there are lots of ways you could achieve that you know you could send them on loan which i think <clears throat> i think would be a really good move if arsenal can find the space in the squad to to do that i just see it as beneficial on every count i mean either you know they get experience and perhaps they return to arsenal as better players or i think that exposure um could augment their transfer value yeah uh, so, so I, I would be sort of in favour of that. But I, I do see the argument that if someone comes and offers you a really substantial sum of money for one of those players, it's tempting to take it. Um, and I think Arsenal, something Liverpool do very smartly is, I hate, you know, what Liverpool, mm. was talking about what Liverpool do, but they, they work in things like buyback clauses or they work in, in a high percentage sell-ons. So even if they sell a player, they kind of protect themselves against that player going on and becoming a star. Mm. Uh, and I think that's quite a smart way to work. And I think, you know, Arsenal shouldn't be afraid to do that because it always gives you the option down the line. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what do you think? I, I Yeah, I think both of them need a loan, for sure. Mm. Um, and I think you're right. If the right offer comes in for them, you know, you'd be tempted to sell because, um, you know... Yeah, we have to learn to sell at the right time with certain players or with certain young players. You know, even someone like Eddie, Eddie Nketia, who's who hasn't really played in the last few weeks at all. I think Arteta yeah. said in his press conference today he's not going anywhere in the January window, despite some uh, rumors. I don't know how they started or anything like that, but um, you know, he he's another one because he's heading towards the last twelve months of his contract, where you can see the benefit of okay, well, look, we've got. X amount out of him. We've developed him to a certain point. I mean, I think this is the this is the difference between some of the young players that we've let go in the past. In that Joe Willock has what? How many appearances for Arsenal? I can't 
you know, must be what sixty odd, seventy odd appearances for Arsenal. Yeah, so you know, his yeah. his his stock will be a, an awful lot higher. Reese Nelson, maybe a few less than that, but um, you know, these are guys who've had first team exposure, and if we are going to move them on, if we are going to to sell them, then. They've got some sort of stock in the bank, if you like. Nelson has forty, nearly 50 appearances for Arsenal. So, you know, it's not like uh, young players in the past who've gone, who've barely made a breakthrough into the first team. The fact that they do have this first team experience means that they are more valuable. Is there a fear that... I'm very coffee today. Is there a risk that... Um, that's bad thing to say at the moment isn't it uh is there a risk that these players value will diminish like do you do you foresee you know is there an argument that you've got to sell joe willock now because in six months he'll be worth less i don't know i don't know that it will fluctuate that much would it in six months or if you let joe willock go for a loan uh on loan to somewhere and he plays quite well you know the the upside of that is that his value could increase over the Mm. over the the course of the next few months um I don't know. I mean, I just, I just feel like we're in a place with those two guys where, where we can see that there's a gap, isn't there, between Smith Rowe and Saka and Willock and Nelson and Enkedia. I think as well. You put into that bracket. Yeah, and I actually think you know Enkedia. Talk about his future. I know Arteta knocked it down today in his press conference. I wonder how much that might have to do with what to Martinelli. You know, that shows. You yeah. If Martinelli's fit, I think uh, it's trickier for Nketiah to get a game time. If he's not, he might get one or two here and there. So, mm. yeah, I think Willock and Nelson, I would like to see them play more often and I would like to see them go on loan. I thought that about Reese Nelson in the summer. Hopefully he does get that move because, yeah, I just I just worry that they're not going to kick on if they don't get moves. Mm. So the the first substitution that we made was after 55 minutes, which is pretty early. Mm-hmm. It was Emil Smith-Rowe coming on for for Reese Nelson. I think Nelson started the game quite brightly. He had a good shot in the opening couple of minutes, and there was a chance yeah. where I think if he'd been a bit more match fit and match sharp, he might have taken with his first touch rather than take a touch and get crowded out. Um, but, you know, it's little moments like that where you know, you can show a bit of quality if Nelson takes that first time and puts it in the back of the net. We're having a different conversation about him today. Um, Sure. You only get so many chances, though, as a young player. And I think it was quite telling that Smith Rowe was uh, the first guy to come on and the guy that Arteta turned to in order to get a bit more control on the game. Yeah, I mean, what struck me about Smith Rowe in this game is is just his, his economy of touch on the ball, you know, the, the the willingness to only take one touch or only take two touches, the speed at which he gets it and gives it improves Arsenal dramatically. I mean, his movement helps as well. He's got fantastic movement. But if you sort of ask me to compare and contrast him with the players who are on the pitch before him, I do just think it's that economy in mm. his movement, in his, what he does with the ball that makes him stand out. And, yeah, I think it says everything about what Arteta thinks about what he offers the team at the moment, that he was the first name off the bench with some some big experienced names on there. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, we bring on Saka and we bring on Granit Xhaka. And I have to say, Xhaka was really good, really mm. good in this game. Um, 
you know, it was quite funny at one point. He was complaining to El Nenny about passing it backwards. And, you know, that's a, an accusation that's been leveled at, at Shaka a few times. But The glass house around yes. him shattering. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Potts. It's me, Mr. <laughs> Kettle. Um, you know, it, it, it was quite interesting to see him come on, though, and really provide forward momentum and incision in his passing, incisiveness, I should say, in his passing. Um, you know, maybe it suited him in a way because of the the state of the game and the way Newcastle were playing. He's always going to get a lot of the ball, but I thought he was really good. And of course, when you bring on, you know, Saka, you bring on Shaka, you bring on Smithrow, the dynamic is different. It's mm-hmm. different. And I think Newcastle had a bit more, uh, a bit more to deal with uh, at that point. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I don't know to what extent Shaka stood out because he was better than what was on before, but I thought he made a really big, big, big difference. Mm. Um, it also helped the fact that he had someone like Smith Rowe to hit. You know, I think people being available is a big part of yeah. the issue. Um, but yeah, Shaka was really good and Smith Rowe was really good. And then Saka, I mean... You know, by the end of that... Uh, Do we take it for granted that, you know, he's just going to come on and make things better? <laughs> what, Bukai Saka? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it was. it's just like, oh, yeah, there he is. He's on now. And he's, he's just going to make it better because, you know, he's... You know, it's not... Shaka comes on and we go, oh, look, Shaka did this. And maybe it's because it's kind of unusual for Shaka to come off the bench. Do you know what I mean? He's usually starting. Really unusual. Yeah. Really unusual. You know? Um, yeah, I think we do take it for granted. I mean, the guy's, you know, what, less than 20 years old, isn't it? Yeah. And he's... That makes him 19, he, yeah? I think so, yeah. But he has a seniority mm. about the way he plays, the way he takes responsibility. Um, maybe we do take it for granted. I mean, I honestly think when we reflect on 2020 for Arsenal, you know, we, we always talk about, well, I suppose the big high was the FA Cup win, and that's certainly true. But I think... Probably second on that list is getting Bukayo Saka to sign a new contract. Yeah. I think that's so important to the future of the club and clearly the present as well. Can I ask you what you thought of Nicolas Pepe in this game? Yeah, um, you can. I mean, kind of more of the same for me. I mean, what struck me is I thought his finishing and his shooting was less good than it mm. often is. You know, what normally what's quite impressive about Pepe is that however much he might sort of dally around with the ball here and there, um, it, when it when it comes to him a decent area, he invariably hits the target. I thought that was a little bit less so the case against yeah. Newcastle. I, I, as well, you know, just the sort of economy point, something I've been thinking about Pepe is, you know, you reflect on that brilliant goal that we scored against West Brom, those kind of one-touch pass-and-move goals, and I can't picture Pepe in that I just can't. It, it, he 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 wants to do too much <laughs> with the ball for that to happen at that kind of synaptic speed. Um, mm. What did you think of it? I was kind of encouraged by the way that he played. Like, I know a lot of stuff doesn't come off, but, you know, he had more dribbles than anyone else. I think he had four key passes, something like that. He had five shots um, I thought he was better than Nelson and better than Willian, yeah. for sure. Well, listen, listen, let's not, <laughs> <laughs> let's not get started on that in part one. We'll wait for part two. Um, you know, 
he worked hard. I thought he did his defensive work well. He, it's his cross for Joe Willock's header. Yeah, you know, he made that chance for Willock. He dribbled well. He was fouled often, you know, which showed that he was... There were moments where you could see him kind of trying to burst through the lines the way that, you know, we've spoken about Wilshire and Thomas Rosicki as players who used to be able to do that. And we don't really have that in the team. I saw him try that more than once. So I liked... I think there were positive elements to his game, but like you, the the finishing, the the couple of positions that he got himself into where I was going, oh yeah, you know, hit one here and he didn't mm. quite connect. I think that's what let him down more than more than anything else. But if I were Mikel Arteta, um, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that this is going to be uh, a player who's worth the money we paid for him or it's all going to work out for him or anything like that. But if I were Mikel Arteta, I would be encouraged by that performance uh, compared to some of the ones that we've seen from him in the not-too-distant past. Yeah. I mean, if, if there are four spots in the sort of front four available, um, I know who my first five are. You know, they're mm. kind of Saka, Smith-Rowe, um, Martinelli, Aubameyang, Lacazette. Uh, yeah. and, and sixth for me is Pepe. You know, he's the next guy for me uh, to come into that unit, wherever it might be. And... and with all the questions of kind of where do we, how do we find an opportunity to rest Smith Rowe? What's the alternative? Every time I think about it, I'm like, well, Pepe comes in, plays on the right, and you play Saka through the middle as a kind of number yeah. 10. Like, I think that is, you know, I mean, it does not solve the problem of how do you give Saka a rest, <laughs> but, no. you know, it's a solution. Yeah. Okay. So look, we go to extra time and we have Bernd Leno to thank for what was yeah. a sensational sensational uh, save from Andy Carroll. Uh, Newcastle kind of exposed us on the break a little bit, didn't they? And uh, mm. it was a good save, a good initial save. And then, and then the fingertips when Carroll was basically trying to take his head off yeah. were really quite something. I thought that was really brave because Carroll, if he'd, you know, I don't think he really cared if he hit ball, ball and head, just head. He was just having a go at whatever was there. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it, it's uh, it's one of those where he probably is deliberately taking a swing at it, thinking, "Well, this will make the keeper duck out." Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's really brave, brilliant goalkeeping from Leno. The first save is good. The second one to sort of spring up and get the ball away, fantastic. And that was the game right there. And also, this was a crazy. 30 seconds, wasn't it? Because yeah. Leno chucks the ball out and suddenly Emil Smith-Rowe's seeing red. I mean, that was, that was, that was mad. That was just yeah. mad. Yeah, I mean, it was a red card for a scream, wasn't it? Like, I think the player's scream made the referee's decision. Ah! <laughs> yeah. yeah, I honestly do. Like, and I wonder, like, in a fan, a stadium full of fans, does that get heard and does it that, I I was wondering the same thing. Like, he would not have heard the... Ah! If the fans had been in the stadium, maybe the linesman would have heard it. And I think that's what he based his decision on. 100% he based his decision on the fact that the player screamed. And I can understand it because it was, you know, when I heard it, I was like, oh, fuck, what's happened here? Like, he must be really badly injured for him to scream like that. And then you see the replays. Uh, yeah. And, and, and thankfully, I mean, listen, I've been very critical of VAR and I still... 
I still prefer football without it, but thankfully on that occasion, it mm. served us well. Well, Zach Harris asked us, uh, he says, VAR clearly has issues and you both have shown a distaste for it, but I view it as a way of avoiding bad calls that clearly change the game. Did yesterday's use of it reverse the incorrect, or to reverse the incorrect red card uh, for Smithrow change your opinion on VAR? And I think one of the phrases or one of the things you hear all the time when people talk about VAR is the, the, the what are the t- three words? Clear and obvious. A clear and obvious error. And if you can use VAR to um, to deal with situations like this where a ref clearly, definitely 100% got something wrong in a split mm-hmm. second, which can happen to referees. I'm not uh, being hugely critical here, uh, despite the fact he fell for the antics of Screamy Joe. Uh, you know, if you can, um, it would be unfair, clearly, for Smith Rowe to have been sent off for that because it wasn't a red card. It wasn't even a yellow card, really, as far as I can uh, tell. I think he just yeah. gave the yellow card to kind of cover his own arse a little bit. Yeah. So if you can use VAR for that, you know, I don't know that too many people would have a problem with it. It's the minutiae of like, is his like pube offside or is his elbow offside or is, you know, those kind of things, which obviously aren't clear and obvious to anyone. You know, that's by their very definition. If you're looking at a toenail being offside, it's not clear and obvious. So, you know, how do you how do you find the balance or where do you draw the line between what can be seen by VAR and what can't be seen by VAR? You know, mm. um, so Do you think we should have had a penalty in this game. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was it was a penalty. Clark put his um, foot out. It caught Aubameyang. He went down. Penalty, hundred percent. And the review was done in a few seconds. Exactly. And- I mean, if that was Man United, they'd have had about eight penalties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, I think it's interesting with VAR. It's kind of absolutist. You know, you have to be entirely for it or entirely mm. against it whereas I think it's a more nuanced thing than that and it's the application of it in different situations no one can yeah. look at what Smith Rowe and say well I disagree that was a bad thing you know but yeah um, on balance I think it's, it brings more negatives than positives but there was a big positive for Arsenal certainly on that yeah. in that instance well of course and uh, Smith Rowe stayed on and Smith Rowe opened the scoring and Quite an interesting goal again, that little combination, that trio of uh, yeah. Smith-Rowe, Saka, Lacazette. Uh, you know, Saka uh, played the ball to Lacazette, good header on, and Smith-Rowe was there. Um, great finish, great touch, great finish. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, the really interesting things about Emil Smith-Rowe is that from the start, since he began to play in the first team, and I include some preseason in this as well, he produces he's got end product he scores goals which at an which at a young age is really really impressive because I remember Arsene Wenger talking about Cesc Fabregas a bit and he sort of said look when a player gets to about 21 22 they start to score goals you know and I think that very much happened with with Cesc maybe a little bit earlier it's not that he didn't score goals you know but he really became a goal scorer as he matured a bit right but Smith Rowe one of the one of the most difficult things to do in football is score goals and he does it and he makes it look really natural and I think he has is it four assists and two goals in about 400 first team minutes this season Mm -hmm. That is a lot of end product for a 20-year-old who has barely played for the first team. I know he had a good loan spell at Huddersfield and everything else. But, I, you know, to me, this is what really excites me 
about Emil Smith-Rowe. I mean, we can all see the talent. We can all see uh, the ability that he has. But the fact that he is producing at this level so quickly is really, really exciting. It is. And, you know, he shares that with Martinelli and Saka. And I think Mm. that's what makes them so special and so exciting. I actually think this is a really lovely goal. You know, I mean, yeah. it comes from Smith-Rowe pinching the ball, actually, off a, a Newcastle defender. When it's a heavy a touch, loose, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Loose touch. But but the fact that he gives it to Saka and is immediately on his bike, again, it is reminiscent of that kind of movement against West Brom. Lacazette, who was our extra time sub, mm. he, does, he does pretty well. It's a good little header, but it's the movement from Smith-Rowe that makes it. And then again... Economy, you know, one touch, bang, and he couldn't execute that finish no, more perfectly from a technical perspective. And actually, like the first touches in the West Brom goal, we talked about that that first touch with the outside of his mm. left boot to bring the ball under control. And in this instance, I think it's the shoulder he brings it down on uh, just to kind of let it run in front of him across his body. And it's absolutely immaculate. I mean, he is he is very very clean and very very tidy and. Yeah, just a a brilliant goal. And I think one that kind of crowns this recent run of games from him. Um, He's been superb and he'll he'll be in the starting lineup, won't he, against Palace on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, he's he's got to be. He's got to be. He's just, you know, he's... There are times a player comes in and, um, you know, they do well, but you can sort of say, well, you know, you could see how he might use a more experienced player there, but... But like when when a player comes in and literally bangs down the door the way Smith Rowe has in the in the last couple of weeks, you don't really have a great deal of choice but to play him. No. And I, you know, I think we do have to manage him. We do have to be careful. We do have to be sensible. You know that we don't um, physically uh, do him in. You know by playing him yeah. game after game after game. Um, be true of any 19 year old but particularly 20, one with his history 20, 20 sorry. yeah 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 no 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 it is so you know there is there's going to be that moment where smith rowe isn't in the starting lineup despite the fact he's played well and people are going to despair at that but mm. we have to have some common sense in in how he's used um and yeah look i, I think the degree of despair will be measured by how he's replaced and who replaces who replaces him, him of course yeah, yeah. but there, there is something happening here like you know having these guys saka and smith rowe who are prepared to run beyond the striker lacazette seemingly understanding that and sort of having a grip on his role in it there is something there to build on and i do think i said it earlier but as soon as arsenal went to that kind of setup I felt more confident in this game and, and, and also great news as well that we got the second goal and Aubameyang got himself a goal from it. Yeah, I mean, he badly needed a goal. He really did. I know he scored yeah. against Southampton, but he really needs a goal. That's why he was in the team, obviously, you know, um, to, to see if he can not break the drought, but just to sort of rebuild some confidence. And I was worried a little bit because there were some chances. Kieran Tierney did his absolute best, didn't he, to give him a couple of good crosses and, and everything else. But, um, in the end, he, he he provided him a chance that he just couldn't miss, um, and the kind of chance where, if you look at the, if you look at the first goal that Smith Rowe scores, mm. Aubameyang is in this kind of left inside left position, mm-hmm. and he doesn't mm-hmm. really make a run into the box. Uh, whether he feels confident or whether the move happens a bit too quickly for him or, you know, he's he feels like Smith-Rowe is going to score, he doesn't need to, I, I'm not quite sure. But in this instance, you know, look where he is. 
and he's still starting from that that left-hand side position. I think that's a really interesting aspect to this goal. Uh, really good uh, combination between Shaka and Tierney. Um, Tierney provides the cross and Aubameyang gets the it's goal. It's a one-two, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And great to see Aubameyang put it away. And I'm just watching it back now. And great to see Aubameyang smile like that, to be honest. I mean, it has feel, it feels like it's been a little while since we've seen that exuberance, you know, that kind of joy from him. And I think that's a good good sign hopefully yeah look I mean I think we said in the last episode didn't we that you know you you can maybe read a bit too much into uh, a striker being unhappy when he doesn't score is he unhappy at the fact he's not scoring or is there something more to it than that is there something more serious going on blah 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 for me it was always just about Aubameyang not scoring that's what he wants Mm. to do he gets on the score sheet he's smiling he's happy you know he's happy for his teammates in the in the game against West Brom as well so you know it really is just about him getting back on the score sheet rebuilding that confidence and hopefully you know two goals in nine is quite uh, a rare occurrence for Aubameyang and hopefully this kind of run is behind him now and he can get on the score sheet with a bit more uh, frequency yeah I mean and depending what news we get on Martinelli I think his, his team in the his place in the team might be all the more kind of secure um, and one thing I noticed in the first half by the way I was sort of watching Aubameyang and watching his movement at no point was he more lively in the penalty box than when Tierney had the ball. Well, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When Tierney had the ball, even if Tierney had the defender in front of him, if it was sort of prior to Tierney's kind of, you know, knock and cross, Aubameyang was on the move. And it's because you know exactly what Tierney's going to do. He's going he's gonna to get past his man. He's going to deliver. And for a striker, that's invaluable. That's gold dust and... No surprise that ultimately it was Tierney who, who laid on the goal for him. I mean, you can tell Aubameyang, he smells goals when Tierney's got the ball. Magnifica! That's the man. He is. I mean, 120 minutes apiece for uh, Ober and Tierney. But if there are any two players in the squad that could handle it, I guess it might be those two. Yeah, for sure. For sure. OK, well, look, there we go. Uh, Arsenal 2, Newcastle 0. Um, I think there were things to be positive about. There are a couple of things, obviously, that didn't quite work out as well as we might like that we'll touch on in part two. We've got some questions about those. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything else you want to talk about from the weekend? Uh not so much, really. I mean, I, I actually... It's obviously a shame without fans, but I quite enjoyed uh, FA Cup third round weekend. I mean, there was it was quite a good draw. There were quite a lot of sort of, mm. you know, potential giant killings. Sadly, uh, Marine AFC couldn't produce the shock that I dreamed they would, although it was great to see Joe Hart get fright. Did you watch that game? I didn't, know. I mean, I'm... Uh, you know, life's <laughs> too short to watch Tottenham, James. Well, there were a couple of funny <laughs> things about it. First, that Marine very nearly took the lead. They had a shot from... 30 yards that Joe Hart clearly thought was going over uh, and it struck the bar um, right. and very nearly embarrassed him and that was very funny it was also very funny watching their striker up front I think he's called Vinicius who they've got on loan from Portugal um, score two tap-ins from like a combined distance of like the length uh, of Eddie and Kedia. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. They were Eddie and Ketia range goals, but he celebrated them against a team from the seventh tier, I believe, of English football, like he had scored in sort of a World Cup final. Like he, <laughs> after one of them, he did a sort of arms folded Mbappe pose after oh scoring God. from a yard against Marine <laughs> AFC. Uh, so that was quite funny. But yeah, uh, glad to see us in the draw for the fourth round. And when is the draw? Is fourth and fifth round. The draw is being made tonight, I oh, believe. Thank so. You for yeah, they're doing the... I don't know quite why they're doing that, but maybe just to 
cut down on hot balls. I'm not quite sure. I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe there's a it's shortage. It's a COVID thing. You're not allowed to grab balls. Yeah, shortage, you know. shortage of hot balls uh, these days. Uh, Leeds United <laughs> did get beaten as well yeah. by Crawley Town. So that's uh, that was an interesting result. It was kind of amazing. Yeah, 3-0 as well mm. I mean Leeds are a sort of fascinating team you you never know what, quite what you're going to get from them mm. um, Brighton in the Premier League very nearly lost they went through on penalties against uh, someone Welsh <laughs> I forget who but yeah anyway Alan, it was quite Alan Jones it was Alan Jones Alan Jones beat Brighton on penalties very good uh, Newport County that was it but um, yeah it was all in all quite an entertaining weekend and you know it's a competition that has been very kind to us in the past. Who knows? Who knows? All right, uh, let's take a break. Get a cuppa, get a, an orange Kit Kat, a regular Kit Kat if you want. They've all kinds have of Kit break, Kats now. Kit Kat. Are we sponsored by Kit Kat now? Not today, but you know, if I keep mentioning them, maybe they'll. If uh, John Kit Kat is listening. Yeah. <laughs> please get in touch. Please get in touch. We like your range of products. They've got all kinds of flavors now. There's mint, there's hazelnut, there's lemon drizzle Kit Kat. There's all Do you kinds. like the chunky Kit Kats? No. Really? I'm not mad for the chunky Kit Kat. No, I think okay. it kind of takes away the very essence of a Kit Kat. They're not supposed to be. They're supposed chunky. to be snappable and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that's no. You know it goes it's against snap, the ethos of the Kit Kat. Yeah, John Kit Kat did not fucking set up that company <laughs> to make giant like mutant Kit Kats. He didn't. Yeah, someone's someone's you know taking it. To I'm just a, picturing a you level. like in a in a local shop holding a load of Kit Kat chunkies. Going, John Kit Kat didn't die for this. <laughs> you know, what's this about? Um, right. Let's, let's get, have a break before this gets any weirder. Yeah, I'll, let's do that. And we've got some a little bit of doom and gloom, I guess, to start with. But we can pick it up as we go along in the questions that you're going to provide us in part two, which comes up right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Right we got to get into this one because uh, it's not quite the elephant in the room, but it's a, a subject which has exercised many people mm-hmm. over the course of the weekend. On the Discord, 
Stickers asks, realistically, what can be done with slash about Willian? And a couple of arsens on Twitter, who's couple of arsens, says, morning, chaps. Good morning. He says, do you think it's possible Willian himself feels his move to Arsenal was a mistake just as much as the rest of the planet does? Uh, if that's the case, is there hope the player will push for a move in the summer? Yes. How do you solve a problem like Willian? <laughs> that would be his song if there were crowds. <laughs> well, uh, I, don't, I doubt it would be as polite as that, actually. I'm not sure it would be quite as uh, tuneful. Yeah, I did one note. say during the game that, um, you know, if the BBC were really committed to authenticity on the sound, they should have replied booing when Willian went off. Oh. I do suspect in a full stadium he would be on the end of a lot of stick right now mm, i think that's i think that's true um which isn't to say that's something i would advocate or anything like that but maybe also, also maybe that isn't true i don't maybe that isn't true like when i went to the europa league game um the first game with fans and granted that was a very special circumstance i was really surprised by the relative warmth of the reception for Willian. And I thought maybe mm. maybe the negativity is a kind of uh, is amplified on social media, whereas well, in stadiums yeah. the, the tendency would be to be behind the team for that night. Yeah, and look, I, I think I think that's true to a large extent that what um, what happens online can feel a lot more intense than real life, you know. Yeah. yeah. But I do think the fact that he's had one good game for us since he arrived would have him in a uh, like I, I think I said on the blog the other day he's he's very close to reaching a point of no return for for many fans and I think for many fans he's gone beyond that already you know just from talking to people on Twitter and everything else yeah they, you, you know nobody is looking at this move as in any way successful for the club for the player himself there's no redeeming features to it it doesn't feel like there are any redeeming features to it at this moment in time but the question about what what do we do about it i mean i understood i didn't like it but i understood why Mikel arteta picked him because you know he has and the club have made a significant investment of money in this player over the course of another two and a half years mm. and I guess there's a an attempt to extract some value from it. But I do wonder at what point does somebody have to hold their hands up and say this is this is not working. This well, is just not sustainable, you know. If it was a one-year deal, mm. then you could, you would maybe be doing that at this point and yeah, you'd but be it's, saying it's not though. Exactly. And so, you know, with Louise for example, you know, there's a sense in which it's like, well, he's not the man for the future. Therefore, mm. we're going to pick other people. Um, with Willian, it, it's a three-year commitment. So tempting though it is, and much though I understand uh, the people not wanting to see him play for Arsenal, mm. I do completely appreciate that for Mikel Arteta, he's got a problem on his hands because either he needs to find a way to get him off the books, which 
is laced with its own difficulties. Uh, or he has to somehow make this work. And it doesn't... Mm. I agree with you. It doesn't look like working at all. And I think even even Willian's harshest critics during his time at Chelsea, I personally think would be surprised by the scale of which this is not working. You know, the extent to which it's not working. Yeah, like I didn't think he would be this bad. No, like I've used the comparison of Louise in the past. Like Louise has been so much better than Willian, mm. uh, you know, at this point. Um, How, I mean, I'm trying to be really fair here, right? Yeah. I, I don't particularly, like, there's nothing to like about Willian at Arsenal. Okay, I'm finding it very difficult. I, I see him on the pitch and my heart sinks. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of, it sucks out something of the enjoyment that I have for watching my team play when I see him in there. And it's quite, I don't know quite how to express it. But it it makes I just don't like it. I don't like the look. I, there's nothing about it I like. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to make that clear. Um, it it impacts me emotionally in a weird way. Um, but trying to be fair, he is or was certainly a better player than than we're seeing. And was at Chelsea a better player than than we're seeing? For sure. So is sure. this is this a guy? coasting because he's got a big contract he can stay in london he's got three years he feels nice and safe Mm -hmm. he's got the backing of a manager who wanted him and sort of knowing that the manager wants you i I wonder if there's a uh, an an inclination on arteta's part to make it work you know because he was advocating for the deal etc etc you know but is this a guy is it is it his motivation is it his confidence is it you know, what is it? Or is it a case that the Willian that he used to be is what he was and what we're seeing is now what he is? Listen, I just don't believe the speed of decline could be that sharp. I mm. just... It's the same thing, I think, with Aubameyang. You know, I kind of can't quite believe that as of the final day of last season, he was a really good player and now... He's just not. Now, of course, there could be things underlying that. You know, he could be he could be in decline, but nothing that doesn't, I think, explain quite how sharp and quite how dramatic it is. I suppose for the motivation question, I think, of course, there can be factors that make a player feel more comfortable mm-hmm. or more less motivated. I mean, look at how people perform in the final years of their contract, for example. You know, there's a security that can influence performance. I sort of don't... I don't really buy the narrative that, like, professional athletes don't try. Like, I I find that implausible, to be honest with you. I think, of course, they're trying. But I think there might be subconscious factors, you know? Yeah. Um, But even that, I mean, the question of, like, is he just comfortable? I, I suppose I'd ask you the question, does he look happy? And watching him against Newcastle, I'm thinking, no, he's not. He, I don't think he's like, well, I turned in that hour and I was shit, but uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Like, I don't think he's sort of sauntering off and, and feeling pleased if with If he was himself. going off, like, laughing and high-fiving everybody, I'd be really worried. Mm. You know what I mean? 
so so in answer to the first question which was does William regret his move from a sporting perspective he has to yeah I mean um, it is possible sometimes for a move just not to work yeah for no particular reason other than whatever a player arrives and he loses form and then it becomes really difficult to win the trust of fans back or the manager back or whatever it is it might just be that this is the wrong move yeah for signing a player is is about chemistry it's about mm. it, you know projecting how one player is going to interact on the field with yeah. 10 others there are so many variables within that that it, it, inevitably sometimes it just doesn't work um it, it's it, I, I think it is actually sort of a head scratcher because Everyone can say William's been bad, but explaining why he's been bad, mm. how he's been, you know, what has changed to make him so bad, I think is genuinely quite tricky. Do you think it's exacerbated by, maybe exacerbated is the wrong word, but we see Bakayo Saka come in and play from the right-hand side, and we see Emil Smith-Rowe come in and play with the kind yeah. of enthusiasm and bravery that you know an experienced player should be able to produce you know somebody who's done it at premier league level for seven or eight seasons who's won the title who's won the europa league who's won all kinds of cups with chelsea i mm. mean he is a guy who has won a lot and been part of teams which have won so it's not a question that like you know he, he he's capable of a the performance level and b the mentality to be part of a team that wins things but, you know, yeah. when, when we see these young guys come in who look just miles better, I mean, is there a point at which Willian might say and his goddamn agent might say and the club and the manager and the technical director might just say, this was a mistake. We gave it a try. didn't work. We now have to find a way out because Arsenal cannot carry and I think this is the key word here they cannot carry Willian on the pitch or the financial uh, aspect of his signing off the pitch mm. for another two and a half years it's just impossible if it's this bad after six months if things don't improve in any significant way what's it going to be like in six months time or a year's time when he's you know I do, you know it's yeah. it, it is a really tricky one I think that has to be an option. It has to be a possibility because I don't think Willian, you know, he's not David Luiz. He's not a bad egg. He's not a guy who's a troublemaker. Or I know there were those rumours, but I, I honestly don't think there was anything behind those mm. about, you know, them sort of wanting Arteta out. I, I never heard that from anywhere authoritative. Um, I, and I think that he will want to play and I think he will want to, you know, be proud of his of what he does professionally. So I, I think that if things carry on as they are, and I see no signs that they're not going to, then maybe that will become a possibility. Probably not in this window, but maybe mm. in the next one. I have to say, going into the Newcastle game, I was quite intrigued to see what Willian might do in the position that he was picked as a number 10. Because 
you know, I reflect on that Sheffield United game where we turned it round late on. He operated in that position. Um, if I think of the Everton game away from home when he sort of in the second half was much better, he was drifting infield off the left flank to those areas. And I've heard Tim Stillman many times, who, who knows William quite well and knows the way he plays, say, look, he's a winger and, you know, he's, yeah. he plays wide and that's it. But it's not unheard of for a player in their 30s who has been a wide player to move into a central area because there are kind of things physically about that that might make, you know, if they, if they lose some of their sprint power, it might help yeah. them in some ways. But it's it just didn't, I mean, it just didn't happen for him at all, no. you know, against Newcastle. No, and, I, I tend to agree with Tim on this one in that, you know, if you buy a player who's played his entire career in one position and then you look for him to be the difference in a completely different position, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's unfair on the player uh, and I'm not trying to excuse his performance levels, but I would question the decision making or the team selections in those regards. I mean, I think he was bought to play on the right anyway. I think he was clearly signed because there wasn't faith in Pepe. Mm. Um but I don't blame them trying something different with him, given how much it hasn't worked. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, actually. Like, I know that everybody hates Willian, but I uh, I don't know. For some reason, he doesn't offend me quite so much. And I do genuinely feel sort of more sad about the situation. You know, it's just such a waste mm. of money and resource. Uh, it's been a disaster for him personally. I I would love to believe, like I personally, I would love to believe that there was a sort of positive resolution here, that there was a way of turning this round. But I just don't see where that's going to come from. And actually, with the form of Smith Rowe, with the form of Saka, mm. he's going to get less and less game time, less opportunity to establish rhythm. Um, I kind of only see it ending one way and, and which is what that he sees out the remaining <laughs> two and a half years well, of his 200 odd thousand pound a week contract yeah that is I mean, that's the other aspect of this I mean I think you're right it is it has been a disaster for him on the pitch but it's been fucking tremendous for him elsewhere you know the deal sure. the deal has been great yeah but look I, I don't have any solution to this other than you know he sits it out and on the opportunities or when he is given the opportunity to play he needs to perform. He needs to play better. And if he doesn't, then it's only going to end one way or it should end in the summer. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to extract performances from him. Like, I don't get the sense. Like, Mikel Arteta is giving him every chance, isn't he? I mean, he was the guy who came off the bench against West Brom. He started against Newcastle. Mm. I think when Arsenal are winning games in the next few weeks, I bet you see Willian come on because I bet Mikel Arteta is trying to somehow... Ignite a spark on mm. this player. I mean, there was a chance for him, wasn't there, in this game? Came to him on his left foot, do you remember? Yeah, it was uh, really bad what he did. Yeah. Really bad. Fired it way, 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 way over. I mean, uh, to me, he just looks... <sighs> I yeah, it, I, I honestly don't know what to say about it. It's just sort of a bad situation. Yeah. And I actually think, if anything, if he serves any purpose at Arsenal, then it has to be the kind of final lesson you know of 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 that kind of transfer strategy yeah. i know we've had plenty of opportunities to learn that lesson in the past but genuinely i, I am starting to think maybe willian has been kind of sent here to teach us something you know the way um at anfield where the players come out of the tunnel and there's 
a, <laughs> yeah. the sign that says this is Anfield, this is Anfield yeah. just above the manager's door at Arsenal in either Highbury House or London Colney or wherever it might be there should be a sign saying never buy old cunts from Chelsea yeah yeah let's move on yeah there was, yeah I don't know what else to say about yeah. it but there you go um, what are your thoughts about Joe Willett we've done that uh, this is an important question from Zach Martinez. Who is more handsome, Mikel Arteta or Pablo Marie? It's a good question. He's a handsome man, Pablo Marie. He is a handsome man. I, I mentioned it par- partly just to sort of open a discussion about Pablo Marie, but let's okay. not overlook. Arsenal lost some handsome players in recent years, and it's good to kind of restore that balance a little yes, bit. Yes, yes. But let's talk about him as a footballer. Will we? Do you have a question about him in, in football terms, or should we just I don't, talk about him? To be him? honest, I just want to talk about his looks. No, but I, I think I just wanted to talk about him generally. I know okay. you wrote about him this morning, but yeah. I, um, I think he's done pretty well, hasn't he? I mean,. What, what have you made of him? Um, yeah, I think I think he's been, like I said in the blog today, it's so far so good. You know, he's come in for Gabriel. Uh, you can see now that there's obviously a bit of a strategy going on in terms of who we have available to us in defence. So he wants a left-footed centre-half pretty much at all times, it seems. Yeah. Because we bought Marie um, in... January of last year and then we went out in the summer and we bought uh, Gabriel and you could look at that as uh, okay well we bought a player and now we've bought a player to upgrade him but it might be just that you know we've got Gabriel and we've got really solid backup in in terms of Pablo Marie I think he's very good in the air in our box I think he reads the game well Um, his stats when it comes to clearances are very good Um, his passing is not bad at all the long passing. I'm not sure he's quite got his eye in yet. Um, there in was that one sense. brilliant pass yeah. against Newcastle. I think someone someone mentioned it to me. Uh, I think I saw it in the comments on Arsblog News. Could have been to Pepe, but yeah, I've seen diagonal. him. Yeah, I've seen him look for you know the kind of ball down the line that you might associate with Granite Xhaka that he might play, yeah. or or the one for example that um, David Luiz. Yeah, right, or yeah, the yeah. one David Luiz played for Aubameyang. Where yes. he went over the Into top, the and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That kind of a pass where he just hasn't quite found his range yet. Um, yeah, look, I, I I think the sample size is really small. Um, still, he's only had six appearances this season, but you know he's played a part in in the recent run of results that we've had. And uh, Arteta talked well about him, as you would expect him to do. Um, with, with most players, obviously, you know, we could go back to Willian and talk about what he, he said about Willian and it's very much a, a manager protecting his player in public kind of stuff. But mm. yeah, I've I've been uh, cautiously impressed with Marie so far. And, you know, I think Gabriel is going to be back. We did have some questions about whether or not you bring him back in. Let's see. There was he, one... He- Go on. Uh, let me see if I can find... Do, do, do. Here's a really interesting one, actually, from uh, Shatuk on Twitter, at Shatuk. And he says, uh, Goodly morning, chaps. Given Pablo Marie's strong run of games and Gabriel's position as our best player so far this season, uh, well, in his opinion, is our case to be made for trying them in tandem? Have either of them played right centre-back? And I think this is... <laughs> I've seen a lot of people talk about this, and I think it's really interesting... Because, yeah, I'll let you have a go first and then I'll tell you why I think it's interesting. Well, I think it's interesting because you never see yeah. two left-footed centre-halves and yeah. you often see two right-footed centre-halves yeah. and no one has any issue with it whatsoever. Yeah. 
Um, I do think there is a reason for that, though, and I think that is that typically left-footed players are more one-footed simply because, as a consequence of having their left foot, I think they're kind of specialists and they're less encouraged to be two-footed. If I think, if you think about it, like most of our left-footed players have been super one-footed. Um, I, yeah, I think that's true of left-footed players, but maybe you notice it more because they are left-footed. Maybe. I, I, I genuinely think that kind of a right-footed player, in order to stand out, is often encouraged to be able to go both ways or yeah. to be two-footed in a way that a left-footed player isn't. Yeah. Um, so I don't know enough about... Like, if you want to play on that opposite side, you need to have a pass off that foot. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. Think just as an option. Like, Louise, I think, prefers playing from the left because of the way the game opens out for him. But you need to be able to pass it off your left so you don't get pressed only on one side and yeah. get stuck. Um, yeah, I mean, look, so- it's one thing rolling a, a right-footed pass across to your central defensive partner. It's a completely different thing when you need to clip a ball 30 yards into midfield or spray it out to, to one of the wings. I, mm. you know, based on what I've seen so far from Pablo Marie and Gabriel, I would not be confident that they could do that with their right foot. As no, well I mean, as you, you think, need to. Think, if you think about it, if you're a left-footed centre-half playing on the right-hand side, imagine your full-back is kind of 10, 15 yards ahead of you. They can't find an exit ball up the field. They play it back towards you. You know what I mean? It's sort of like you, you're in an awkward position where if you want to use your left foot, you've got to turn. We've seen the problems Granite Shaka can have with that. Neither of these guys are David Luiz, exactly. Um, I, I don't see it, to be honest. Yeah. I, I think Pablo Marie looks like unusually for an Arsenal signing exactly what we have bought and signed him to be which is the backup player to Gabriel Mm -hmm. and I think he looks absolutely serviceable and ideal for that role the only thing I would say is some players have especially with defenders they bring qualities that sort of offer a sense of calm to mm-hmm. defence and that can often exceed their kind of technical attributes. You know, Per Mertzacker is kind of the obvious one. But there are other players where, you know, Vermaelen was a better footballer than most centre-halves we've had over the last 20 years, but he didn't have that thing, that thing of sort of, I don't know if it's organisation, I don't know if it's leadership, something that just kind of brings a bit of stability. And it does seem that Pablo Marie has some of that. That's my instinct of him. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I think an important part of his game, because I think there are issues, obviously, with his his pace and his mobility, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. In order to make up for those, you have to be good at reading the game. And if you can read the game and you can communicate, then you can transmit that that sense of calm to your defenders and to your midfielders even. So, yeah, I kind of see a bit of that in the way that he plays. I think comparisons with Mertesacker are are quite valid. Obviously, there are physical similarities, but just the way that they 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 play the game, I think, is is actually quite similar as well. Um, I, I think what he is 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 backup slash competition for 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 Gabriel. Um, I think Gabriel probably fits the profile of a, a modern centre half a bit more than Pablo Marie. But if he's the guy you've got understudying or he's the guy that you can play in cup games and Europa League games or whatever it might be, then uh, I think what he's shown us in in the last couple of weeks is that he is he's capable of that. I think there are going to be some moments with him 
I think there's going to be a moment or two where where the pace is exposed or where he gets a little bit caught on the turn or he makes a clumsy challenge or something like that. But I think that's par for the course with a player um, of his profile and of his provenance and his experience and, and everything else. But in terms of what you can realistically expect from a backup central defender, I don't know that you can get a, an awful lot more. No, I agree. I think he's done. Uh, I think he's done pretty well. Can I ask the next one then? Go on. Um, because it, it it stays on central defenders. It comes from Chills on the Discord, and he says uh, the Athletic is reporting that Holding has signed a new deal. Uh, listening to the Statements podcast, which is one we did for our Patreon members, uh, and I spoke to Elliot uh, Yankee Gunner. Said Elliot was critical of us keeping players who will not win us a championship. Even though I agree with him in general, I still think extending Holding is the right thing to do. He can be kept around until we're one signing away from challenging for the title and then replaced. What? your thoughts or just thoughts in general on on holding signing a new deal I'm okay with it I really am I think he's been very consistent this season um, he's played an awful lot of football I, I kind of long term see him as the Pablo Marie equivalent mm-hmm. if you know what I mean for the other side of the defence I don't know if he's the guy but I think he's got an important role in the squad to play Um so yeah, I'm pretty relaxed about it. I, I listen to the Statements podcast and I, it's, it's a great idea for a show. I really enjoy it. And I think uh, Elliot makes a really good case for kind of like, you know, if Holding's not the guy who's going to win you the Premier League, uh, why not sell him and make some money on him? But I suppose my what I think about it is kind of twofold. I, I think A, you still can sell Holding. Like mm. he's in his mid-20s now. I think he's got several more years in which his value might only increase, to be honest. I think he's, I think he's, you know, I think his market value is probably pretty decent at this point. Um, and giving a new contract protects that. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's a kind of thing of, I love the idea that we could attract the players now that could win us the Premier League. But I think within that, I don't know how realistic that is. I think Arsenal probably have to build just to get back into the top four, you know? And there are Mm. players who won't come with us all the way on that journey to the very top if we ever get there. And maybe Rob Holding's one of those. But uh, I I just don't know if it's realistic to be able to to acquire those players at this point. Maybe I'm wrong about that, Mm. but I I feel like this has to happen in stages. And in the the next sort of three-year stage, I think he can be a part of it. What do you think? I don't really have a problem with it either. I think when you look at the collection of central defenders that we have, there's going to be a huge amount of natural attrition come this summer and maybe towards the end of this month. Socrates mm-hmm. is going to go. Uh, David Luiz is going to go. Shkodra Mustafi is going to go. I don't think Mavropanos comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, Callum Chambers, I think we have some concerns there over you know, how well he's going to recover from his cruciate, right? Mm. Uh, So you're left then in the summer with Gabriel, Pablo Marie, Rob Holding, and William Saliba, who we assume will uh, come back. I think there was good clarity, actually, on the Saliba situation last week. Do you? Yeah, I mean, Arsenal were very clear that they see him as part of the future. Mm. I noticed he was man of the match at the weekend. 
Um, yeah. I mean, he's gone into a team who, from what I've seen, cannot defend for Toffee. So he's got a lot of work on his hands. He's going to be like one of those goalkeepers, you know, who's playing for <laughs> rush, a bottom... goalie. <laughs> no, but like one of those goalkeepers who's playing for a bottom, bottom of the table side who looks great because he's got a lot of shit to do. You know what I mean? I think this is yeah, going to be yeah, a good yeah. a good test for Saliba, and and you know he's going to have to do a lot of defending, which I think is part of what they want from him. Mm-hmm. So then you've got four central defenders, you know, with Chambers maybe who might stay or or who might go. Uh, so when it comes to holding, I think he's twenty five. He's got a couple of years left on his contract. We we talk about players in this situation a lot and say, right, make your decision. Do you sell him now or do you extend? And if you're extending, what are you going to get from them or what are the downsides of extending? And I don't think that if we extend holding and we then in a year's time or 18 months time find ourselves in a position where maybe we've upgraded on him and he's not playing as much, I don't think we have an asset that is tanked by any means we've got a young young. we've got an English player in his mid prime you know mid 20s mid to late 20s for a centre half is is the perfect age and I think there will be a lot of takers for him so it's not really about just protecting the investment I think he can be a good player for us Um, to me it's a fairly sensible decision given everything else that's going on yeah and I suppose what I was trying to say before about like having to do things in stages you know, before Liverpool had Van Dijk and were the best team in the world, they had to be a team that got into the Champions League regularly. And in order to do that, they signed people like Joel Matip and Ragnar Klavan, you know, and it, they mm. weren't going to be the guys who took them to the top, but they got them to the point where they were a Champions League club, they had bigger revenues, they could sell on some other assets, bring in Van Dijk. I do just think we it, this might take more time perhaps than we envisage. Mm. And I think holding can be a sort of steady presence for the next three years. What I would say when you list those centre-backs is I find it very hard to make a case for keeping Callum Chambers at this point. Yeah, me too. Me too. But I think, you know, maybe for the for the duration of this season, like he could be alone in January. I but think it he depends. should be. Well, it, it really be. depends who else goes. Like Socrates is going to go this month. It looks like he's going to go to Genoa. Mm-hmm. Seems. Yeah, he's anyway, going to go for sure. He's going to go. Mustafi wasn't in the squad, right? Yeah. And I wonder what, Yeah, I wonder if, you know, Kalasinac is gone, Mesut Ozil appears to be going, and there is Mas- a little dressing room uh, There's that gang little, of pals. Yeah. yeah. So those three were like a little dressing room clique. And I do wonder if there might be some efforts made to move Mustafi on in January to give him yeah. a favourable deal you know go and play somewhere from what I understand he, you know his situation is quite delicate and quite difficult because apparently footballers are a bit and there could be incentive for him to go in January because footballers aren't particularly keen to be out of contract in the current economic climate without a club you know if you're a guy who's who would demand big money uh, there are no certainties really so if, if he can get some sort of long-term deal somewhere, you know, three or four years. Yeah. I think in this climate, he's going to take that. It's just a question of when he can find it. Yeah, and look, I think Arsenal would be happy to incentivize that move. Yeah. You know, in as much as they're not going to look for a great big fee from a staffie with six months left on his contract. 
you know? So that's the only, yeah, so- that's the only thing that gives me pause for thought about Chambers. Mm. You know, just in terms of if all of those go, then you've got Louise and Holding, and then you've got Gabrielle and Pablo, uh, Marie, Pablo Marie, and maybe just having one more player like Chambers who can play right centre half and probably can play left centre half as well because, you know, most right footed yeah. players can do that. Then, just for insurance purposes, you might keep him around. I just sort of have this hunch that holding in Chambers... I know Chambers is more versatile, but in my mind, they're kind of a similar spot in the squad. Mm. And I think if you've committed to one, uh, there's a strong case for cutting ties with the other. But I I take your point about the uncertainty. They can't make really decisions on their centre-halves until they know exactly who's Mm. going in January. Mm. Um, I did see an interesting question on the discord about this let me just find it no problem um it was relating to the contract situation um so it's from dazzy pepper holding got a new contract who should get the next one um who should get the next one right i think the one that i would go with first is William to get the William extension <laughs> in the bag, a pre-contract yeah, agreement exactly. for another three years. Emil Smith Rowe. Okay, he will be the next one because I think he's he's got a contract for another couple of years. Yeah, but I think the smart thing to do would be to open discussions now and to get him committed in the same way that we got Saka committed. After that. I think I would look at Kieran Tierney. I think you've got to be looking at Kieran Tierney by the end, uh, around the end of the season. Um, quite a strange story, wasn't there, in the Telegraph about Napoli being interested in signing him? I know they were interested when we saw him from Celtic, but I'd be amazed if... Uh, oh, listen, he is, he is one of the unsellables, one of the few unsellables in this squad. I suppose so. the only thing you would say is like, is he a Champions League caliber player, and how, you know how long can we not offer him that? You know. Yeah, well, look, that's true, but I think that's he down Champions the road League a little bit. Celtic. Yeah, and I'm sure you know that's part of his ambition at Arsenal and moving to the Premier League. He wants to be part of a Champions League club, so that's you know obviously that's something we have to manage. Something mm-hmm. that Arsenal, as a, a football club, have to uh, be cognizant of. But I think if we want to get back there, he's going to be a big part of it. So. Yeah, he he would be. I mean, Smith Rowe is a good one. Yeah, and then he would be on my list as well. What's interesting is when you look at the squad. Mm. Apart from those two, there aren't too many names. No, there know? aren't. I mean, Martinelli, we already did. We yep. did this uh, last summer, so we we have that sorted out. Um, beyond that, maybe Leno. Maybe Leno, but there aren't too many mm. other names that you're like. We have to. We have to commit to this guy. Or, you know, we shouldn't consider selling this guy rather than extending him. Mm. Um, which tells you, I think, a bit about the state of the squad. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of deals that are expiring and aren't going to be renewed. But yeah. they would be the ones for sure. Tim Tara 33 on the Discord says, Why did Arteta keep Ainsley Maitland-Niles instead of selling him for £20 million to yeah. Wolves if he isn't going to play him? 
It was it was a very uh, clever and forward thinking way of punishing Ainsley Maitland-Niles to keep him Arsenal. I am a bit confused about that. Like I say, I really think Tierney needs a rest sooner or later, and Ainsley is probably the closest thing we've got to a good left back. I would I would imagine, mm. apart from Tierney. I mean, I did kind of think. Is he going to play on Thursday? Is he going to play against Palace? You know, they've got some tricky wingers. They've got uh, Zaha, who plays off the front usually, but then Mm. they've got Townsend, who wants to come inside off the right. We know that uh, we've used Maitland-Niles to counter people who come inside off the right, um, like Mares. Maybe there's going to be a role for him. Mm. I'm not sure. If he doesn't play against Palace, I think it's a strange one, isn't it? Well, no, not really. I think if he doesn't play against Palace, it's because we've got Kieran Tierney on the left-hand side and we're probably going to use Hector Bellerin on on the right-hand side. Well, what I mean is not playing against Newcastle or... Well, yeah, okay. I I think not playing against Newcastle was strange. Yeah, Yeah. and I, you know, I'm not sure which role I would have played him in. I mean, he could play where Cedric played. Yeah. Or he could have played instead of Kieran Tierney, um, which would have probably been my preference ahead of the game because, you know, I do think we we, we have to be super careful uh, with Tierney. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's a strange situation. It's a strange situation. I don't quite understand it myself. Um, uh, yeah, I, and I think I'd, I, um, I don't think Ainsley Maitland-Niles is long for Arsenal. I really don't. I, I don't either. And I can kind of understand why we turned down the money that Wolves were offering because I don't think it was great. I think it 15 was... 15 million quid 15 or 15 so, million. Yeah. It's not for great a guy for a guy's England international. the England squad. Yeah. yeah. You know, but now... But, but the way we've used him hasn't done much to kind of improve no. his value. His value was probably at its high point then. I mean, they went and paid something absurd for Nelson Semedo, didn't they? Like yeah. 38 million or something. Yeah. So I, I do wonder if we might have been able, had we been willing to squeeze more? I mean, the indication was that Wolves had a, a limit they wanted to pay for Maitland-Niles, but given what they then did for Semedo... Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I get slight Pepe vibes off Maitland-Niles regarding his relationship with Arteta. I just feel like something isn't quite right there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I don't think he fancies him fundamentally. But he will occasionally use him like yeah. a sort of Swiss Army knife, you know. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if come the summer he was gone. In the meantime, though, he's not a player we can let go in January. No, I don't so think useful. he is. Because of the it's, cover that he can provide at left back and at right back. Wow, and, midfield, wings yeah. everywhere. And there was another question on the Discord from, do, 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 uh, ironically, from Ainsley Maitland-Niles' cheeky grin. He says, do we need to sign another left-back to replace Kalasinac, or is a mix of Suarez, Maitland-Niles, and Saka enough cover? Uh, I don't think Saka can play at left-back, or should not play at left-back. I'm sorry. Uh, at a push, if we have nobody else, sure, but like that's not where we should be playing him. He said, seeing Tierney play 120 minutes against Newcastle has got me worried we're going to overplay him. Yeah, I had a look to see, like, you know, what we've got in the academy in that position. Is there anyone... Because, you know, that's Edu's job, not just to buy players, but have a view on what's the succession plan. And mm. there is the kid, Joel Lopez, who everyone gets excited about. He's still only 18. 
think he's had some injury problems. I, you think we need somebody, don't you? I think we might, yeah. Mm. I think we might. I do wonder if there's a loan out there that we could do. But again, it depends on the profile of the player, whether they're homegrown or non-homegrown. It becomes a bit more a bit more difficult. Um, I don't think we can keep playing Kieran Tierney in every no. game between now and the end of the season without it costing us. No. And now we've gone to about four. Mm. It's not quite the same, is it? Dropping Maitland-Niles in as a wing-back, as a full-back. But he has played there, in fairness. Yeah. He has played... He'd be my back. choice. He'd be my choice. Um, even though he's a very different player to Kieran mm. Tierney, I think he is the closest thing. Mm. But yeah, of course, if you're offering me a specialist... And we know Arteta loves specialists, you know. Mm. That's why we've got Cedric. Specificity. That's what he keeps saying. He keeps using that one. Specificity. Speaking of January, Queen Guna says, so apparently we're looking to sign a number two keeper and send Renarsen out on loan. Having sacked most of our scouts, how worried are you about our future purchases? We seem to be just throwing money at average players rather, and then trying to correct the problem Mm. months later. Well, I tell you what. um, I'm happy to hear that we are looking for, I think Mikel Arteta said today, a solution to the goalkeeping situation. What did he say? We're assessing the situation with the three positions in the goalkeeping area and we will find a different solution probably in this window. Uh, He talked about the last window and said we didn't have much time to do what we really wanted to do. And obviously, uh, Runison was quick, easy, available and a very short-term solution to the issue. Um, Where I would have some doubts and worries is that Runison very obviously was a recommendation of our goalkeeping coach. 100%. Who worked with him before. And we are linked very heavily with David Raya. Yeah, yeah. Who worked with our goalkeeping coach before. And on the basis of the Runison recommendation... I don't think we should take into account what the goalkeeping coach says at all. Because this, you know, I feel sorry for him, but he's not he's not uh, up for it at this level, at this mm-hmm. kind of club. He's, he's just not. And I'm sorry. Um, you know, I feel a little bit sorry for him. I felt sorry for him in that Man City game. And maybe that's not necessarily a true reflection of him as a player, but... You know, you've limited chances to impress or to to convince people at this level. So that's what my, my I'm happy that we're acknowledging there's an issue because I think an in, an injury to Leno is a big problem. Would be a big big problem. Like we saw it happen last season. You know, the door was open for Emmy Martinez after Leno got injured against Brighton, an innocuous kind of incident, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden we're down one of our most important players. And I remember at the time, look, we all loved what Emmy did, but at the time we were talking about like, oh shit, we're going to need to buy a goalkeeper. We're going to have to go into the market to get a goalkeeper to replace Leno because nobody really expected Emmy to do what Emmy did. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's positive that we are looking for a solution. I have concerns that the man or that part of the reason we're looking for a solution is that we were recommended a player who just isn't up for it. And that guy, I think, should be removed or distant from 
from the process. You know, we have to look at the best player we can get, not the best player that comes with the recommendation of the goalkeeping coach. Absolutely. And, you know, if Edu is the technical director and has now the long-term vision, he will know that coaching staff come and go. So you don't sign a player who the goalie coach wants, you sign a player that suits the club and is mm. right for the club over the next five years or whatever. Do you think David Raya is that player? Well... Uh, are you asking me personally what yeah, I think Yeah, 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 you personally, what you think of I mean, I, I think I, he's all right. I'll hold I my hands up. I haven't seen a great deal of him. I think he, you know, he's very good with his feet, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, he is good with his feet. He's sort of classic modern goalkeeper, you know, six foot one, very agile, good with his feet, uh, comes, off, uh, comes outside his box, sweeps up a bit, and gets involved in the build-up play. I think he's pretty good. Um he Brentford will put up a real fight about letting him go in January and they're very stubborn on this stuff he's got a release clause in the summer um, so if Arsenal really want him then the solution is I guess a loan but I think Arsenal can only loan two players and they've already got one in Danny Ceballos so you know they can't loan a left back and a midfielder and a um, number 10 yeah so. I saw somebody talk about this because we, we mentioned that last week, and they said something like Fulham have six players on loan. I can't remember Premier League yeah, uh, loan uh, rules. Uh, I think you're right, but Premier okay under the rules of the Premier League handbook, there are restrictions on how many players. Forgive me, it's from English clubs. That they right, okay. To. Premier League's the maximum number of loans registrable, registrable in any season is four. Right. Um. But again, I think that relates to English clubs. So actually, if we loan from abroad, we're okay. Mm, assuming we can get uh, a work permit or an extension or a, what do you call it, an exception or an exemption, yeah, yeah. given given the the Brexit thing and seeing as supermarkets I, can't put fucking lettuce on the, on the shelves, maybe it's more difficult to bring in a goalkeeper than we thought. I spoke to an agent the other day who said that they were going through every player in the top three divisions of Argentinian football, putting them through an algorithm to figure out whether or not they qualify for uh, Brexit, uh, for, for, for Brexit Britain, basically. Jesus. And it, it, what's really interesting is um, it's a really high percentage. I think in the top division, they said more than half of the Argentinian players would be eligible to come here. That's Because mental, they've it? massively opened up uh, the work permit. So basically, it's no longer done purely on international caps. It also takes into account domestic appearances. Yeah, so first if you team played, appearances. Yeah, yeah, and and not even the top division. You could be playing in the second division in Argentina, and those appearances still count towards your work permit. Wowzer! So if you know, if I do, it's interesting when we laid off all the scouts, we did keep our South American scouts, and I wonder, you know, must have had a view on on that. Maybe mm, okay. Um, right. Did I have another question? Probably. I've got one here if you I'll go on. Yeah, you, you go for it. Because we talked about them a bit earlier. Emil Smith-Bro, who's at AFC Kevin 2003, says, yeah. if we could sign Buendia from Norwich, but it meant that Nelson slash Willock would have to go on a loan permanent basis, would you do it um, in all situations? Or it could be one on loan, one permanently, or both permanently? Yeah, I'd, do, I'd definitely do that. Two and a half Okay, can I ask you a question about Buendia then? Yeah. Does he not play from the right quite Yeah, frequently? I mean, that's, 
Is that, that, that is the concern. That is the concern, actually. I maybe was a bit hasty there. But, you know, I, I um, he does. He does play off the right. And we've got quite a few players. We've a bit of area. an issue there on the right. Yeah, I, I do kind of think that it's not a player I hold out a huge amount of hope for Arsenal landing anyway because of Norwich's situation. Mm. Um, maybe, you know, he could play another... I, I think he, it's not like he plays on the right because he can't play in the middle. I think he plays on the right because that's what fits with their system. I think he'd be delighted to play in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's what makes me say that. I don't think it's quite like a Willian situation where you're asking to do someone something they just haven't really done before. Um but I don't hold out much hope for that one in January at all. Yeah. And then in the summer, if Norwich come up, you know, I think it'll be difficult again. Hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see that one happening. No. Uh, quick one from Tom Pigden. Do you think comments about Arsenal wanting a world-class number 10 for Smith Rowe to learn off, as reported by The Athletic, show club management is deluded as to our actual standing? Surely if such a player was for sale, Arsenal would not attract them. Or afford them. Afford them, yeah. yeah. We just took out quite a big loan <laughs> from the old... Uh, Bank of England. the Treasury. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that we're... Re- are we really targeting a world-class number 10? Maybe. Well, I'm, I'm, sure we'd li- I'm sure we'd like sure to target like one. one. But... Having a target and hitting it are quite different things, though, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think a world-class number 10 is going to come to Arsenal right now. And I don't think we could afford it anyway. So I think our solution is to try and find a player who could potentially become a world-class number 10. And maybe maybe we're seeing the start of that in in Emile Smith-Rowe. Look, we're nearly at 50 minutes in this half, so I want to just call it quits here. But I do want to ask this question. Um... On the Discord, Riku Hurula says, I've never had a question answered, so I'm going to try these three. And he asked a question about winning cups. Not interested. Uh, He asked a question about signing cover for Kieran Tierney. We've already covered that. But he says this, and I'm very curious as to your answer. He says, why do commentators always talk about hitting the back of the net when a goal scores, it hits the front of the net? The back is the other side, right? That's mind blowing. I never thought about that before. They hit the front. If you hit the if you hit the sta- if you hit the advertising hoardings, and then it, you know, I guess it, what it, they're, they're considering the back of the net as an entity. So what they're doing is hitting the front of the back of the net. Do you see what I mean? The side net is an entity, and the back of the net is a thing. All right, calm down, Christopher Nolan. Fucking. Hell. <laughs> That could be that could be his next film, Back of the Netception. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm confused already. Yeah. I mean, but it great is. question. It I is. Mean, he finally had his question asked. There you go. It is possible. Dream a dream, guys. It is. Believe the back. Yeah. It's the front of the back of the net, or the back of the front. Is it the reverse of the front of the back of the net? Andrew, I'm, I've got to go. I'm running Sorry. out of time. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> This could go on all day, in fairness. We will leave it there. Thank you, as ever, for being here. Thanks for listening. Uh, We've got another one coming on Friday, another Arsecast Extra, because we're playing on Thursday night. So please join us for that. In the meantime, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.